Welcome to the Moneyliners podcast on November 15th, 2022. This is officially podcast number two, and we're going to pick up right where we left off yesterday in our conversation with Jeff Saturday's situation in Indianapolis and Josh McDaniel's situation in Las Vegas. If you caught some of the video feed from the Colts locker room, uh, you noticed a very excited and happy Jeff Saturday accompanied by his team and owner Jim Ursay, who today looks like he's a genius. On the flip side of that, it looks like Mark Davis having to come out and say Rome wasn't built in a day is his effort to defend his new head coach and his bad decision in bringing Josh McDaniels into Las Vegas. So that's the tale of two different tapes. I thought we'd start today's podcast by talking about the five best coaches in the NFL today and why. And then in the second segment, we'll talk a little bit about five up-and-coming new coaches that I think are going to be the next generation, so to speak. And then we'll finish it off with five frauds and why they're frauds as NFL coaches. So when I think about a great NFL coach, the first thing I think about is a consistent winning team. They don't always have to win the Super Bowl or get into the playoffs, but are they really a solid team year in, year out, game in, game out? Are they hustling every play, even though they may not be the most talented team on the field? And how do they respond in front of a microphone or on the sidelines to their coaches and toward their other teammates? So let's jump right into the five best coaches in the NFL today. And we'll start with number five. I will say Bill Belichick is the fifth best coach in the NFL today. Now, some may argue, why do you think he's not the best coach? Because he has seven Super Bowl rings. Well, I think some people would agree that the jury is still out. Did Tom Brady make Bill Belichick or did Bill Belichick make Tom Brady? I have a really hard time thinking that Tom Brady made Bill Belichick because Tom Brady was not heavily recruited out of college. As a matter of fact, he was picked in the sixth round of the draft. So most NFL scouts and teams didn't think too highly of Tom Brady, who sat behind Drew Bledsoe filling water bottles as a rookie. I have a feeling that it was a perfect combination between Belichick's strategy and gameplay calling and Tom Brady's innate leadership skills and intellect that created those seven Super Bowls. So I want to give Bill a couple of more years to see what he can do with Matt Jones or Brian Zappi uh, and the rest of that team without Tom Brady to really declare Bill Belichick the greatest of all time. Now, you know that Bill Belichick came up under the Bill Parcells tree, which is a pretty good tree to, to grow on. Uh, but I'm going to put Belichick at number five and give him a little bit more time to prove me otherwise. Number four, I'm going to say is Sean McDermott. Sean McDermott lost Brian Dayball to the New York Giants, yet he didn't skip a beat. Now, I know that he's got a lot of talent on that team and Stephon Diggs and Daryl Singletary and, of course, Josh Allen in a Great defense that just keep adding. They just keep adding key pieces, now having Von Miller. But Sean is in complete control on that sideline. There, is, there isn't any barking between teammates and certainly nobody giving him lip when they come off the sideline. They are together playing as one unit, and they are extremely good. They had a big loss against Minnesota, but they still played lights out, and Minnesota just got him at the end. So if you don't know the background of Sean McDermott, he came up for a very long time under the Andy Reid and Ron Rivera tree, both in Philadelphia and in Carolina. 
And again, those are two pretty good, good coaches to be your mentors and teachers as a young coach. Coming in at number three, John Harbaugh, the head coach of the Baltimore Ravens. I, I think back to Harbaugh winning a Super Bowl with Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco was a game manager or getting to the playoffs, deep into the playoffs a few times with Trent Dilfer. When you can do that as a head coach, relying on your defense led by Ray Lewis and, uh, and, and again, Terrell Suggs and a great defensive unit, you still have a great coaching capability to be able to get there. And again, consistently year in, year out, he's putting winning teams on the field. And again, he came from the Philadelphia Eagles and the tree of Andy Reid. Let's go to number two. A guy that I personally love because of his Buckeye roots. One of the best linebackers to ever be in the scarlet and gray, Mike Vrabel. Mike Vrabel didn't have the mentors that Harbaugh, McDermott, and Belichick had. He came up just as an assistant coach and then ended up in the, with the, at the Texans with Bill O'Brien. I think Mike Vrabel kept Bill O'Brien's job longer than he should have had it. So Mike Vrabel comes in at number two because he currently has Ryan Tannehill, who he's been able to put a consistent playoff team together with. Now I know he's got the best running back in the NFL in Derrick Henry, but I wonder if Henry would be as good with another coach that he is now simply because of his size and strength. I love Mike Vrabel. I love his demeanor on the sideline. I love his leadership of men. And one of the things I like about him and the next coach I'll speak about is their engagement with their players. You can see that the players love talking with them and learning from them and being with them in practice. And Mike Vrabel is a, is a coach that still has a little bit of beef and, and youth that he can get out and push the guys around on, on the line as, you know, as he was a defensive player himself. And I like that about Vrabel. Number one, my man up in Seattle, Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll is not getting any younger by the years, but one of the things that differentiates Pete Carroll from the other four is that Pete Carroll has won both at the college ranks at USC and also in the NFL. And as you can see by the failed experiments of Urban Meyer and earlier uh, last decade Nick Saban in Miami, that is not an easy thing to do. Currently, we're watching the bad experiment in Arizona called Cliff Kingsbury, yet Pete Carroll was able to win at USC and win in Seattle. And what he has done this year with Geno Smith is nothing short of a miracle. I mean, Geno Smith was a bust. There was no other way to say it in New York. He was a forgotten man. Most experts thought that Seattle would be lucky to be a 500 team this year. And currently they're sitting in first place in their division. And Geno is playing at least as well as Russell Wilson did his last year in Seattle. So number one is Pete Carroll. I love his enthusiasm about a simple field goal or an easy tackle. He's the kind of coach that I'd want my son to play for in the NFL. So now we're going to change the, 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 the uh, discussion here over to these up-and-coming fairly rookie coaches. Several, well, they're, most of them are rookies, but we're going to talk about who they are and why I think this next generation of coaches are really exciting. Um, they're innovative. They're youthful. They've got different ideas than the Harbaugh's or Carroll's or McDermott's of the coaching ranks. And I'm going to start, of course, all the way at, at the top at number five. And he was on Monday Night Football last night, Nick Sirianni of the Philadelphia Eagles. 
First of all, he has gotten the Eagles to an 8-0 record until last night when they lost to Washington, which, by the way, was predicted on Moneyliners.com. I just felt that Philadelphia had to lose a game. It wasn't They were not going to go undefeated. They're not that complete of a team. And what better to do it than an NFC East rival and a legendary coach in Ron Rivera on a primetime Monday night game. Uh, their defense, Washington's defense, played an incredible game. And, and won it, uh, including the, the victory stamp and mic drop on a last-second touchdown, which, by the way, I never understood why players go down on the ground. I understand there's a risk of a fumble, but I'm putting it in the end zone for the defensive touchdown that to put the score completely out of reach. So great job, Ron Rivera, from getting that touchdown at the last minute and say, game over. So Nick Sirianni coming in at number five is really because of his ability to identify Jalen Hurts' strengths and build an offensive game book around Jalen Hurts instead of what maybe more tenured and older coaches do and expect their quarterback to transition their skill set into the playbook. So congrats, Nick. I think you're doing a great job and look forward to seeing you years to come in Philadelphia. Number four, Mike McDaniels. Mike McDaniels came out of the Kyle Shanahan tree out in San Francisco although Mike McDaniels has a heck of a lot more talent on his squad than Nick Sirianni does. Uh, he has done a similar work with Tua in less than one year to get him to become a prolific passer and, and really, again, build the playbook around Tua and his skill set. They brought over Tyreek Hill, which was a huge addition, and just really has Tua throwing the ball to his old college teammate, Jalen Waddell, and watching Tyreek run all over the field. I think it was really cool to see uh, Mike go out and get uh, Jack Wilson and uh, Raheem Mostart, uh, both from San Francisco, because I think that those two together really were solid in San Francisco. And I think for uh, Kyle Shanahan, once you get Christian McCaffrey, you've got those guys to kind of you know kind of get rid of and get some trades back. And why not help out your buddy over on the AFC and Mike McDaniel's? So I put him at number four. Number three. Also from the Kyle Shanahan tree, Robert Sala. I love Robert Sala. I think he was a great defensive coordinator. He's a guy I would love to play for myself, be a middle linebacker for Robert. Uh, what has he done with the Jets? I mean, the Jets, the Jets are abysmal. They were abysmal. And it didn't matter if they had talent or no talent. I mean, when you talk about, you know, uh, Mangini and Adam Gase and some of the really bad coaches that they had, and, and now they've got a coach – built for the future in New York style, tough as nails, uh, and he's putting a winning team on the field. They play with a lot of heart, and they play a lot like their coach uh, coaches. And again, that's one of the signs I look for is how do you change the culture? What kind of shift do you make in the culture of your team to get them to believe that they can uh, and believe instead of we're going to lose, we're going to win every game. For the Jets to beat the Bills last week, that tells you right there Robert Selah has this team believing that they can beat anybody on any given Sunday. And I think that is a, a testament to his character and leadership skills. Number two uh, is, is Brian Dayball. I mean, <laughs> I don't know how you could not possibly be a Brian Dayball fan. Uh, he's like the, you know, the Santa Claus on the sidelines. He's just a happy guy to have the opportunity to be a head coach in the NFL he took over uh, a New York Giants franchise that was just a complete and utter mess 
more than more of a mess than the Jets. He lacks talent. I mean, if you look across the board at his receivers, Darius Slayton, uh, Daniel Jones was a forgotten quarterback, a bust. They they thought Daniel was a bust. Um, he had Saquon Barkley coming off of an injury plagued season last year. I mean, there were no expectations for the Giants. Um, this was going to be Brian's first year to just understand what the heck he's doing as their head coach. And he's winning. Uh, he's winning in dramatic fashion, last minute. You know, when when you have teams that young, inexperienced at winning, winning in dramatic fashion in the last couple minutes of games, that, again, is an attribute to your leadership and ability to get those guys to believe if we get the ball back and we have a chance, we're going to win the game. So congratulations, Brian Dayball. I think that, uh, you know, McDermott has taught you well, but it's clear that you can do this on your own without Sean McDermott. Um, and I think both of you are great coaches. And then we'll go to number one. And I think in emphatic fashion, uh, he, he probably flipped Brian after his victory uh, Sunday against the Bills. Uh, Kevin O'Connell, the coach up in Minnesota, that has the Minnesota teams as now tied for the best record in the NFC with uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, he's a calm, cool, and collected character, uh, kind of a ho-hum guy. But he took essentially the same team that Mike Zimmer had and has put them on a winning trajectory. Uh, he's made Kirk Cousins uh, really make better decisions. He had a couple bad decisions in the Buffalo Bills game, but uh, Kirk's playing better. Justin Jefferson is all-world now. Uh, he's also playing uh, Dalvin Cook a little bit less and kind of splitting carries with Madison, which I think is a good move. And then them going out and getting TJ Hawkinson uh, is a significant upgrade at tight end. The defenses played, always play great in Minnesota, but I think that they're playing extremely well now under Coach Kevin O'Connell. So those are the five up-and-coming rookies at Moneyliners.com where you have a guaranteed refund on your monthly subscription if we do not win at at least 54% or higher. For only $19.95 a month, it gets you every pick all day for 30 days. We'll move on to my favorite section because, as I said yesterday in our first podcast, I love to pick on bad decisions, bad coaches, bad GMs, bad owners. And really, I don't blame any of these guys uh, as coaches for their situation that they're in. I blame GMs and owners for thinking that they are great coaches that deserve to be head coaches now and not looking around at them and looking at their head coaches that have made them successful or maybe expanding their their eyes beyond just this individual candidate as a head coach, looking at the tree and other maybe co-coaches that have not been successful when they've gotten their head coaching opportunities. So we'll start with number five. Dennis Allen of the New Orleans Saints uh, is being exposed. And, I, you know, if, if you remove um, Drew Brees and then you remove Sean Payton, you're not going to be heading to Super Bowls very often. I get that. But if you just take the quarterback position, the rest of the team is pretty much the exact same. As a matter of fact, you have a great wide receiver in Chris Olave. You've allowed um, Hill to be who he is, which I think has been great. Uh, and your defense is still playing pretty tough and consistent. 
Um, you got a great kicker in Will Lutz, yet you're losing game after game after game. And why you think that you can win with Andy Dalton as your quarterback, that indicates to me that you're lacking the knowledge to be a successful head coach because Jameis Winston, and again, neither one are great choices, but Jameis Winston gives you the better chance to win at the in the NFL. Now, I know he was injured, but he wasn't injured this past week. And I think he could have played two weeks ago based on the reports. So it's time for you to make a change back to Jameis Winston because he gives you the best chance to win football games. Dennis Allen is being exposed because he was a coordinator under the great Sean Payton, and he lost a Hall of Fame quarterback in Drew Brees. Now, you would think that owner Mickey Loomis would think would see Dennis's experience as the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders when he was in Oakland, uh, which is a complete failure, and maybe waited another year and and gotten someone else, or maybe made Dennis interim coach, or maybe figured out how to keep Sean for at least one more year, and then make a concerted effort to to take a long search and get a quality coach because the fans of New Orleans are great. The city's great. It's a football town, and uh, and Dennis Allen is letting them down. Number, number four uh, fake coaches in the NFL is Matt LaFleur. So now we're learning that Matt LaFleur from the Sean McVay tree got obviously got the position because of his success under Sean McVay with the Rams. But how important was Nathaniel Hackett to Matt LaFleur? Clearly to me, he was very important uh, as the, as the uh, uh, offensive coordinator and, and the person that worked with Aaron Rodgers. Um, you know, I, I think that Nathaniel Hackett uh, is the kind of person that would let Aaron Rodgers be who he is. And I think Matt LaFleur is not allowing that to happen. And so he's being exposed. He lost Devontae Adams, uh, and he's really lost Aaron Rodgers as the Green Bay Packers head coach. I don't see LaFleur lasting in Green Bay if their current play continues. That was a big win against Dallas, as we discussed. And I was happy to see Aaron get that win. But uh, I don't see them beating Tennessee on Thursday night uh, because they can't stop the run. And I think Derrick Henry is going to run for 200 yards in Green Bay, and they'll be right back to their losing ways. So Matt LaFleur comes in at number four as uh, a fake exposed head coach in the NFL. Number three, Arthur Smith down in Atlanta. I have no idea what he's doing down there. I have never in my life seen a worse uh, a worse offense than what I'm watching in Atlanta. Uh, it, it's literally like watching a high school football team. Last week's primetime game between the Atlanta Falcons and the Carolina Panthers was one of the worst football games I've ever had to watch. I felt like I was being forced to watch that game simply because of the Carolina Panthers pick that we made as the underdog. And how how Atlanta could ever be picked as a favorite above anybody based upon the way they run their offense is shocking to me. Even against the Carolina Panthers that lost 45-7 to to the Bengals the week prior, Carolina was still the better team and the, and the better coach team as well. So Arthur Smith is completely lost and way out of his league coaching the Atlanta Falcons in some sort of Air Force Academy run offense 
with Marcus Mariota, who is also lost along with Arthur. It is time to get your University of Cincinnati quarterback out on the field, Arthur, and give him a chance because it cannot be any worse than what we're looking at on the field right now in Atlanta. When you don't have Derrick Henry, you get exposed. So Arthur comes in at number three. Number two, Cliff Kingsbury in Arizona. Now, Cliff is higher on this list because he's got a lot more talent than Arthur or Dennis Allen. I mean, Cliff has Kyler Murray. He's got James Conner. He's got top five receiver in the NFL in DeAndre Hopkins. He's got top five tight end in the NFL in Zach Ertz. And he still can't win football games. And not only can he not win football games, he's arguing on the sidelines like a child with Kyler Murray. So to me, Cliff Kingsbury has completely lost his star quarterback on top of the controversy in the offseason. He has no respect. His team doesn't respect him. And, you know, he's going to be another example of college success not translating to the NFL, unlike Pete Carroll. Um, he needs to go back to the college ranks where he belongs because the NFL players aren't respecting Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury in, in Arizona. So I have him at number two. And I, I'm, going to, uh, I'm going to put number one, of course, on my favorite guy, Josh McDaniels, because he's actually been exposed twice. So again, going back to the segment yesterday, and, and still I, I still can't figure out the thinking of Mark Davis, but Josh gets to be number one on this list because he tricked the owner uh, to hire him two times, once in Denver and once in Las Vegas. So, you know, it was interesting to listen to Stephen A. Smith, um, you know, on his diatribe about about Josh McDaniels. But and I don't always agree with Stephen A. I think he's a little too loud and wild for me. But he's spot on. You know, when he was talking about Derek Carr crying as your quarterback and how that's not a good look. How can men in the locker room follow a crying quarterback? Um, that's a bad, bad image. In addition to that, you know, he's already lost the players, as Stephen A. talked about, within a half of a season. They have quit. The football team has quit within a half of a season. So, Josh McDaniels, you've been exposed now twice. You were bet. I mean, I don't, I don't blame you. Um, you, you're getting paid, and <laughs> you, you got two big contracts, one in Denver and one in Los Angeles. Or I'm sorry, in Las Vegas, because you convinced an owner, not once but twice, to pay you to be their head coach. When you look at Las Vegas and the city of Las Vegas, the stadium that they build, the the raving traveling fans that come either from the Bay Area or are just in town from all other parts of the country to watch an NFL football game, maybe watching their team play the Raiders. You've got all of the elements that you need, and yet this is what you're putting on the field to the point where you have to get the owner halfway through your first season to say, Rome wasn't built in a day. Now, I'm going to challenge Mark Davis and say, Mark, Rome wasn't built in a day, but you damn sure should be able to build a cardboard box in a day. 
because right now you're not even in a cardboard box. You're exposed out in the wide open with pouring down rain or cold snow falling on you. That's how bad the house is that you're allowing Josh Daniels to McDaniels to build. Now, I think that there's still time, and we're going to find out very quickly. I think it, I think if Josh can somehow win a couple of games to just stop the chatter and calm the players down and say, okay, this is what it feels like winning, I think that he has a chance. Um, when I when I go back and I look at this list and I think of Cliff Kingsbury or I think of Arthur Smith and I think of Dennis Allen uh, or Matt LaFleur, I don't think they have a chance to win football games. So I actually think Josh may have the potential to become a winning football coach based on his experience under a winning organization year in, year out, and a seven-time Super Bowl head coach in Bill Belichick, whereas I think Cliff and Arthur and Matt and Dennis don't have a chance to win in the NFL. So, Josh, I'm actually pulling for you because I know that this is hard on you and your family, and I know that you want to be successful, and you clearly have the ability to design an offensive play playbook uh, and you have the ability to win uh, football games and win championships. But, man, something in that locker room, something in your DNA and your personality is just not working for the players to want to be followers of your leadership. And I think that's where it's happening. You have got to do something different. I think part of it is that, you know, Bill Belichick was, is very stoic and very black and white and very kind of dry. And I'm sure that you've been cut in that same mold, which probably worked for the Mike Vrabels and the Tom Brady's or uh, the players of those Super Bowl championship teams in New England. But it's not working in Las Vegas for the Devontae Adams and Josh Jacobs uh, of your football team. You've got to loosen up, lighten up, have some fun, take them bowling, uh, take them to the casino. Take them to a day club spa pool on top of the Cosmo. Do something different because what you're doing now isn't working from a leadership standpoint. You know, throughout my career in higher education, I, I became known as a firefighter more so than, uh, you know, a college president. And I would go into bad, toxic cultures that, we're just not focused on the right things or focused on serving the students that, um, that were our customers. And I would just look around at the people and their demeanor and how they communicated with one another and was their chin down or chin up? Did they think that we were going to lose or did they believe that we could win? And, and it was pretty easy for me to create a winning culture with the right key people coming alongside of me uh, and starting to just believe and have faith. Um, and I've, I've done some significant turnarounds. When I think about Brian Dayball and I think about Robert Sala, they are examples of kind of my, my background and my career in higher, private higher education. Uh, they've come in and they've just changed the tune. They've just flipped the script on everyone that was living under a gray cloud of rain and and darkness. And I just don't know if Josh McDaniels has that within his DNA 
and his leadership style to get it done. But again, best of luck to you, Josh. Well, there is the, uh, the Moneyliner's take on our three sets of coaches, both the five great ones, the five up-and-coming future star coaches, and the five pretend coaches in the NFL. Tomorrow on the Moneyliners podcast, we are going to cover the same three sections of coaches in the college ranks. And I think that you will be surprised at the list that we share tomorrow. Um, and I can't wait tomorrow to get to uh, the five pretend coaches in college football because two of them make me want to throw up. Um, two that we'll discuss tomorrow in college are the biggest con artists I've ever seen in any level of sports, uh, any sport at any level. And uh, so stay tuned for tomorrow's podcast and I'll be glad to share my take on the two biggest con artists in NCAA football history. This is Chris Nichols, CEO of Moneyliner, signing out on podcast number two, November 15th, 2022. Have a great evening.